Hi, hello and welcome to K Out and About, the podcast about my random travel occurrences. This is episode 6, The Life in Costa Rica Part 2, Macho Man, The Red Star and Cockroaches. Now, we're back in Costa Rica. Uh, I'm not a biologist, so I can't tell you much about, much details about the fauna and flora there. But me and my friends used to say, when Mother Nature created that part of the earth, she must have had an orgasm. And I don't think I'm even exaggerating right now. Go and see it for yourself. That's that's all I have to say. But when I arrived, it was December and the shocks kept piling up because Christmas time was coming. And just realizing right now as well, it was almost exactly 16 years ago. And I got to see two very different celebrations. First of all, Mm, I was totally oblivious to the fact that Christmas food in countries other than Poland can be actually good. Don't get me wrong, Polish food is normally awesome, but the Christmas bit is very fish-oriented, and I hate fish. Fucking 50 shades of herring, carp is the main dish, mushroom soup, and it's not the champignon kind of mushrooms. And so I usually sat with a bowl of potatoes um, or I had pierogi with cottage cheese uh, which is not traditional Christmassy food but it doesn't contain meat because the um, 24th um, is or was supposed to be a meatless day so in theory it's the last day of fasting but what a 12 course dinner so I wasn't looking forward to it but it turned out to be amazing meat and eggnog I mean seriously it, it's just great so the first Christmas Eve was with um, Randy and his family because um, they have, he has like this huge family and it's very international. They get together just once a year. So obviously um, he had to go and I just tagged along. The house we went to was huge. Um, I, I don't remember where it was exactly. It was somewhere in, you know, the suburbs of, of San Jose, the posh suburbs of San Jose. And the Christmas tree was uh, the biggest one I've ever seen standing inside someone's living room. Completely different species to the ones uh, we have at home. And it took me a little bit by surprise. I'm like, it looks a little bit like a Christmas tree, but it's not. Well, tropics, you see, they have to, you know, survive with whatever they have. And there was a mountain of presents underneath it because it turned out that, you know, there, was, there were a lot of kids as well. Very scary moment for me happened when the kids just jumped under the tree and got into their presence. I mean, into, you should see the tearing apart of the wrapping paper. I mean, it was a massacre filled with screaming. In other words, a total nightmare for me, but hey. Other than that, it was a very nice celebration. Um, and then we went to Eduardo's place. It's the same Eduardo who helped me with migration office. And I got invited to his um, family uh, Christmas Eve. Very different, in a much uh, normal scale. Not a fancy, posh house with throw-up Christmas decorations, just a normal Costa Rican house. Much simpler celebration, much more familiar. So it was only with closest family, very down-to-earth, warm and loving people, and again, amazing food. 
And the celebration finished with drinks on rooftop terrace. And, you know, rich families, parties aside, Christmas was interesting enough in the tropics. I mean, it was the first time for me. So weird to see all the Christmas decorations, you know, the Santa and and the reindeers without the snow and in warm temperatures. I mean, I was wearing a T-shirt. But back to Alex's place. As I mentioned, it was busy. Also because the apartment was, I think, two blocks away from an infamous bar street uh, where we were spending a lot of time, obviously. The street itself is worth mentioning. It was Calle La Margura. You can actually Google uh, Google it. Um, the street of bitterness. Ironically, in Catholic tradition, it's the road where Christ was carrying his cross. Well, in San Pedro, it's the street where students drink their sorrows and savings away. I must say, I really enjoyed uh, the music there. I mean, general in Costa Rica, in, in the bars. Um, they didn't care that much about what's commercially popular. You could always count on some good 80s, 90s rock, pop, Latin rock, but also some good quality salsa. Um, at first... I wasn't really sure what was going on, but then it became clear to me that I was drawing attention and was receiving some weird looks around the bars, uh, mainly from other females. For weeks, I was wondering, what the hell? And then I think it was Marlon who explained it to me. It was the way I dressed. Basically, the friends I was going out drinking with were just that, you know, friends, although all guys. So my dress code comprised of a whatever t-shirt, non-gender specific jeans and Doc Martens shoes. So at the time, in that specific society, um, for other females, I was either a lesbian or a total idiot who doesn't know what to do uh, around guys, you know, how to behave around them and how to dress around them. I really, really, really hope things have changed since then and it's going to be a little bit tiny, tiny bit of a feminist rant right now. Not even a rant, really. Um, there were certain topics or certain situations. Uh, I noticed people sometimes were cringing or were completely confused or lost when I would mention, even women. Uh, people didn't really talk openly about a lot of things. And amongst them, um, anything remotely close to contraception with just, you know, big open eyes and kind of confused looks and like, ah, get me out of here. And for example, I needed to arrange for some pills because obviously, you know, I wasn't um, uh, registered at a doctor, but I needed some contraception. So, uh, I, you know, I took some time asking around. No one was able to help me with that. Uh, the girls were avoiding the topic like hell. They were just uh, confused or like, oh, pills? I, I don't know. I go to the doctor. Like, well, I, I couldn't. Um, and so in the end, uh, I had to ask my parents to send me uh, the pills over. And that caused even greater shock in people. The, the sheer idea that my parents knew. I mean, I was 23, 24 at the time. Seriously? Of course, I, you know, the contraception, it's something so logical and so, so obvious. I mean, 
Of course, being 21, having three kids while getting a divorce was totally fine. And I'm mentioning it because I actually men, uh, met someone like that. So that, that's fine. But having, you know, being sensible about it, it you know, phew, shocker. I'm going to change the topic before it gets even uh, a more of a rant. But I really do. I, I really do hope things have changed. Um, going back to drinking. Bars around Calle La Margura were quite cheap, obviously, um, around the student area. Generally, um, bars in San Pedro were cheap. And because they were in the student area, nobody really cared how they looked like, especially during the night. I mean, you, you weren't going there for, oh, because that bar looks fancy. Cockroaches, rats, kind of a usual view. Not to me initially, but after a few beers, you kind of you get used to everything. Uh, the first rat I saw, actually, uh, I confused it with a cat. It was that big. Uh, I only noticed by the tail that, oh, maybe it's not a cat. It, it was a rat, indeed. And uh, most in most of the places, you, you sometimes just sit on anything you found lying around, like, I don't know, some crates or boxes, whatever, or stairs. Um, and, oh, God, the ladies' toilets. Oh, I was very grateful for my Doc Martens, actually, because towards the end of the night, a lot of uh, those toilets were just usually flooded. And you don't want to walk down those streets, especially Calle La Margura, in the morning, early in the morning following a party night, because trash bags just pile up along the pavement. And they're often just torn apart by cats and rats, you know, helping themselves to the leftovers, obviously. Staying on the drinking subjects, um, I do wonder actually sometimes why it's such a huge part of a culture, how, how people drink, how people party. Ladies' nights. Oh, ladies' nights. Um, hmm. On one hand, amazing. You get to the bar, it's women only. They pour alcohol into your mouth, in some places literally. And I mean, I'm Polish, free alcohol. So what, <laughs> Seriously? And then a bunch of half-naked guys would dance on the stage and just shake their tushes right in your face. But then, but then, unfortunately, the gates opened and all the guys that were waiting outside until then, they could get in. And prey on very drunk women. Very important lesson to be learned here. Always, always have some male friends amongst those hungry guys outside. So when they come in, at least your guy friends, they can scare off the sleaze bags away. Our go-to guy was uh, Marlon, and you could always count on him. And he was also a great uh, wingman, I must say. A couple, couple of other things worth mentioning about, about the culture. Nicknames were a thing. As I already mentioned in the previous episode, some, sometimes I didn't even know the person's real name. Um, it, mainly, of course, it was guys who had who had nicknames. So there was Mango, there was Santa, there was Pan Blanco, Flaco, Colgate, as in Colgate toothpaste, just Spanish pronunciation. And, uh, you know, nicknames was just part of it, part of the culture. So Pan Blanco, for example, was called that because he was quite pale. So calling him white bread seemed very appropriate to his friends. Um, Colgate got his name, uh, well, nickname, because he had the whitest and brightest smile you could imagine, in a not famous person, of course. 
Um, Guillermo was called Memo, Eduardo was called um, Lalo, uh, Ignacio was called Nacho. Um, the last few ones, they were actually kind of uh, diminutives like uh, Dick or Rick for, for Richard. But again, uh, Rick, Richard, at least they kind of, okay, maybe they come from, or Michael, Mikey. You kind of get that it's the same name, but Guillermo and Memo, Eduardo, Lalo, uh, <laughs> where's the similarity? <laughs> And I, oh God, I do have to mention the, the, the beaches, um, pristine, most of them pretty much empty. Um, you know the crowds in Europe, every single time you go on holiday within season, people are getting, cr- getting up crazy early just to put their towels down, you know, to reserve a spot, the, the perfect spot on the beach. None of that in Costa Rica. I think... Tamarindo was probably the crowdiest. Uh, that was February, so still within season, you know, the, the summer. Um, and I might may have seen maybe, I don't know, 20 people at a time. And then you go to Montezuma, Jaco, Cahuita. There's hardly anyone there. I mean, it's amazing. But now on to politics. Ha! Huh. For someone who grew up in Poland towards the end of the socialism era... Um, It was always kind of obvious that, you know, the left side of politics was red and the right side was very traditional and churchy. And then I find myself in a country or rather a whole freaking continent where the left and the church actually support each other. You see, in Central and Eastern Europe, the workers' revolution went on too far and turned into communist regimes. And uh, this is this is, by the way, a massive, massive uh, oversimplification of a very, very complex events. So you know, bear in, that in mind. In Latin America, the worker revolution came much later, and it was squashed time and time again by the military, supported by big corporations, most of the time with North American money. So who could support? the poor workers, if not the church. And that way, I ended up celebrating the very, very traditionally red 1st of May, you know, the the Labor Day, the the Worker Day, um, accompanied by church processions and, and holy hymns. I mean, it was completely surreal. I also had, uh, well, now I laugh about it. Um, let's say it was funny. Um, a clash between socialism and capitalism. Right at the beginning, I got a little bit ill because, you know, climate change of a different sort. I mean, between December in Poland and Costa Rica. Um, So I was ill and I was supposed to meet up with a friend. Basically, I didn't want it to go anywhere because I wasn't feeling okay. But he wanted me to visit his mom's place. I don't know, show off with the house. I don't know. Um, he said we can eat something there. I was like, okay, fine, let's go. The house was indeed very, very different to the ones I have seen so far. You could see that straight away that the, that family had uh, money. We walked in and he goes and knocks on a door in the back of the kitchen. A sleepy lady came out. Uh, it was, I don't know, around 10, 11 p.m. And he asked her to make us some sandwiches. Well, I was a little bit stumped, like, uh, doesn't he know how to make a sandwich? I tried to protest, uh, but he said, oh, it's fine, it's fine. As it turned out, uh, a lot of families in Costa Rica that had some money also had maids, mainly from Nicaragua. 
they would cook and clean um, and for that receive some small salary accommodation and food. I only saw that lady once because then she left to go home, I think, for Christmas, but she never came back. I mean, clearly it was my fault, as you will see in a second. What drove me up the wall that evening was that um, when this lady asked me how much sugar I want with my tea, me, in my very basic Spanish that I just started to learn, I proudly said, dos cucharas. In answer to which, I got a lecture from my so-called friend about using the phrase, por favor, with the house help. I wanted to slap him because um, he was the type of a person who would never, ever pick up anything after himself in his room or kitchen because he knew someone will do it for him. For example, the floor in his bedroom was covered in dirty socks and shorts. And he had the fucking guts to lecture me on, por favor, uh, por favor, a, a homebred socialist? Fucking outrageous. However, that situation was an exception to the rule because another very tico thing is an amazing hospitality, even towards people they don't know. Uh, one of the best examples was Alex's friend Marlon. He hardly even knew me and I could stay at his place in San Carlos, for example, whenever I needed um, he even arranged for me and my friend Belinda to sleep in Punta Arenas at his sister's place. And the sister, I mean, who never even met me. And they treated us like royalty, you know, gave us dinner, allowed us to sleep in their kids' room. Uh, I remember going a little bit more back in time. Um, I remember the aftermath of 9-11th. Um, I was sitting at the rim of Grand Canyon with my dear friend Eduardo, um, and we didn't know what was going to happen. It felt like the, you know, the Third World War was around the corner. And Eduardo just said, listen, if anything bad is going, going on in Europe, just take your family and come to Costa Rica. I'll make sure you have a place to live. Because there will never be a war in Costa Rica. Even when some army would come in, we'll just show them the landscapes, the beaches, and give them some beer. Who would want to fight them? And deep down, I know that although we haven't spoken in years, I mean, with Eduardo, probably 14, 15 years. If I ever showed up at any of these guys' doors, they would make sure I had a place to stay. That's, that's how great this nation is. And now the thing about Costa Rica that surprisingly didn't take that long to get used to. The cockroaches. Well... There's nothing more exciting than living with a bunch of cockroaches. And, I mean, you cannot even fight it because they're everywhere. Well, almost. Basically, the rules were, if you wanted to get into the kitchen, turn on the lights first and wait a few seconds. Allow them to hide so you don't have to look at them. Uh, because of that, uh, I also kept everything in the fridge, including flour and sugar. Interestingly enough, there were no cockroaches in the bedrooms. And I wondered why, until the moment, I saw the ants. Because we had tiny, tiny, tiny little ants in the bedrooms. I discovered them first after um, leaving a cookie on the plate overnight. I mean, why didn't I finish? I mean, it was a cookie lying there. Well, the ants um, finished it for me. The minute a cockroach would venture out of the kitchen through the living room, the ants would attack in the most amazing manner I've ever seen. They would surround it and jump on it all at once. And for a few more seconds, the cockroach, you know, would move around and then it would just give up and the ants would eat it from the inside. 
about ten minutes later, you would have a dry cockroach shell lying on the floor. Well, that's it for now. I've been talking for quite a while, and there will be another episode about Costa Rica because I'm not done yet. So in the next episode called Pura Vida, I will tell you about the language of Ticos, and I should probably tell you what the hell I was actually doing there all those months, apart from dating hot Latin guys. Before I go, I wanted to thank everybody listening. Um, I hope you've been enjoying it, and I can promise you there is a lot more to come in 2019. If you can, please leave a positive review on iTunes or any other platform you're using. I would be over the moon. Uh, please visit my website, k-outandabout.com. Follow me on Facebook, koutandabout, and on Instagram, at koutandabout, all one word, lowercase. Now, Christmas is around the corner, so enjoy the time with your close ones. I have my parents visiting uh, tomorrow. I cannot wait uh, for the homemade food they're going to bring, because it's not going to be, you know, traditional Christmassy Polish food. It's going to be the good food. I should be able to give you the last Costa Rican episode before New Year. So thanks for listening, um, and until next time.